Hello, Ivan. Hello, Alex. This is episode three of our podcast about truth and spectacle. We're talking to people in very different industries and disciplines who use truth to create wonderful and meaningful things in the world. And today, our guest is Katharina Wittgens. Katharina is a business psychologist and the managing director at Innovation Bubble. They're a business consultancy who use behavioral science to understand how organizations and brands really work. She's advised companies like Virgin Atlantic, TalkTalk, and Habito on finding the hidden psychological influences that affect their business strategies. What I really like is that Katarina starts every project not knowing what she will learn. Hi, Katarina. Hi. It's great having you here. Um, I don't think we have yet spoken to a business psychologist. Um, what is a business psychologist? Um, business psychologist is basically a psychologist in businesses, not being a therapist and a clinical psychologist and employees sitting on the couch, but helping businesses to make sense of their employee behavior, um, what the issues might be with motivation, engagement, um, well-being potentially. Or if it's more customer centric, um, looking at what an organization can do to improve uh, its positioning or engagement with the customer. So it sounds that in our world of truth and spectacle, you're very much on the truth part of the story. Yeah, I think that's right. So I think we are getting in because businesses see a lot of spectacle. Uh, and they are asking us to make sense of it and finding the truth um, as psychologists. So I think humans are um, excellent actors in the sense of being driven unconsciously the whole time um, and not knowing why they do things the way they do it. Hence, we see so much spectacle and businesses are really helpless without psychologists to make sense of it and really understanding, well, what is the true driver here of our audience? What are the true motivations? What are the true engagement triggers? What are true barriers to engagement, uptake, loyalty, etc.? So it sounds as if you took um, your passion of psychology and you are applying it in work. Tell us a little bit about your day-to-day. What work would you be doing at the Innovation Bubble? So we consult a lot of different industries um, from finance to startups, retail, charities, you name it, um, wherever there are humans and brands want to understand human behavior, that's where we come in. Um, So my everyday or a typical day looks like responding to a lot of emails, then probably seeing a couple of clients either if it's in the beginning stage to understand what is the problem, what do they think, what are their hypotheses, because there are a lot of assumptions and hypotheses of um, what they think the problem is or why customers or employees don't engage. Um, so listening a lot, um, if we are mid-pathway mid of a project, then it's um, analyzing or interviewing an audience or getting to the truth of it. So really investigating Uh, What is happening here? What are the real barriers? What is the truth, the true problem, the true barrier, the true engager uh, of things? Um, And then at the end, it is helping clients uh, or uh, at at a different stage of a project or end of 
project time. It's about helping them to come up with interventions that are actually effective. So um, how can we create an engaging culture? How can we engage our customers with this new product? What triggers do we need to um, tap into? So there is this wonderful old saying, the truth hurts. You are being asked by your clients to come into organizations and explore truth. Can that hurt at times? Yes, definitely. Um, because it's often so counterintuitive in what we are finding. Um, because business psychologists haven't been in business for that long, um, at least not on the customer facing side yet. Um, so very often traditional methods have been used to explain customer behavior. And that's why many companies never got very far with it or why many things never worked. So when we come in and we present our findings, um, it's often a lot of uh, jaw dropping faces and what, what are you talking about? But it makes intuitively sense. Once you give people a couple of seconds, um, it makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. And once the truth has landed, mm -hmm. um, do you see that people are then able to tell powerful stories? And maybe you have an example or two about this? So we, were, we had one client in the health sector, for example, where they didn't understand why their new product, very innovative, um, was not uptaken by the audience, um, really. And it was an implant for people who were turning blind. And the only products at the time were actually injections into the eyeball. So hence, exactly everyone's rejection is, ooh, no. Um, and their implant um, didn't require these injections into the eyeball. It was basically an implant operated behind the eye somehow uh, and would last for 36 months. So quite innovative, mm -hmm. um, but zero uptake. And they just couldn't understand why is nobody uptaking this? Wouldn't not anyone try to avoid injection into the eyeball? Um, hence, we came in to really understand why that is. What we found is that patients, they don't care about an injection into the eyeball if they're facing blindness. It's the least you care about. You care about not turning blind. Um, and the doctors are highly security driven, meaning they want to make sure that there are no side effects and that they can reassure patients as well. Um, so you have two audiences that want to meet each other the patients want to get the reassurance from the doctors that there will be no blindness and the doctors want to make sure there will be no side effects and everything is going to be fine. Um, hence, a communication that the client used beforehand around, oh, you don't need to see a patient anymore for 36 months because the implant does it, doesn't hit it. <laughs> it actually creates the opposite. Um, so hence, with that insight of really understanding the audience needs, they could turn it around and say, for example, um, just um, 10 minutes checkups every two months or so. You know, meeting A, the need of a doctor being really time pressured and uh, also patients not needing to come up, but at the same time meeting that need for reassurance and security. Fantastic. So it sounds as if in, in your job you need to be really curious, no? Oh, extremely, yeah. Um, it's almost... I sometimes think we're almost investigators or similar to police um, where we're really trying to find what, what the truth is. And how do you know that you found it? Um, once we uh, tested pretty much, so whatever interventions we come 
up with together with a client um, to see where it lands and what the uptake then is or the reaction is or if there's higher engagement is there more motivation that's when we know we found it or not or we hit the truth or whatever it is what was the most surprising truth you ever found uh um surprising i get back to you on that <laughs> i need the most to think am- about it the most amusing truth so one thing that comes to mind, I don't know if it was the most amusing, but basically in, when people book their holidays, every travel provider is communicating, marketing, the nice sandy beach, the palm tree, um, the luxury, the adventure, whatever. Um, but actually, non-consciously, what customers are looking for at the booking stage is nice fluffy towels and pillows and a clean bathroom that are the non-conscious drivers when people book a holiday um, and not the adventure. And so their brain is actually not um, wired towards um, the luxury sandy beach because all they want is to calm down their anxiety around these facts of, you know, aspects. And then once this is kind of covered and, you know, providers can respond to this kind of anxiety-driven need, then they can talk about the sandy beach. I love that. I have a lot of love of that. If I had the choice between a sandy beach and a fluffy cushion, I know what I would go for. <laughs> I would go for the fluffy cushion, I think. organizations and we're talking about the truth I would assume you talk a lot about organizational truth and that is probably then translated into culture and values Mm -hmm. how important for you is it that companies understand their organizational truth I think it's fundamental it's it is the fundament um, that every organization should um, seriously investigate and be really, really clear about uh, in order to build um, a high rising, if I use that analogy, stable building or whatever they want to build. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless you have that, the likelihood that it will all fall apart or be shaken up by the wind really heavily is uh, quite high. Uh, I might ask you another yeah. maybe slightly provocative question. Um, currently there is the narrative around purpose Mm -hmm. and a lot of companies have created very elaborate, very skillful, very beautiful stories around the purpose of their organization. A purpose of the organization and the truth of an organization, is that the same in your point of view? (laughs) Um, Ideally it is, (laughs) Um, but it doesn't mean that often the case um i think there's a lot of maybe wishful thinking that whatever vision a company has come up with or values that they have plastered on their walls is the is the truth um but i think what we often found is the behaviors that are then you know seen or expressed at the workplace or the way people talk about their work or their organization is differing quite fundamentally from what is written up and whatever. 
comms papers or material. So the purpose is starting to become more spectacle than truth. Yeah, which which is really sad because purpose is so important. Uh, I think nowadays, especially more and more people are looking towards company with a very authentic um, purpose. Um, and um, that should be the leading star if you want. But if, if that's not uh, really yeah, authentic or true uh, and just made up just because purpose is in or a trend, then uh, it won't work. So we talked about um, a couple of examples around finding the truth and is the truth painful and how people react to it. Have you ever had a situation where people could not accept the truth? Yes. Um, so we worked with a company where um, they had feedback issues in the sense of that people were not giving each other feedback anymore. But it was a little bit wider than that. They actually didn't communicate with each other anymore. So the whole company was based um, on the foundation of being innovative and the um, survival was to come up with innovative products. Um, and uh, having a workforce not talking to each other anymore is its death, basically. So that's when we came in. Uh, we did a huge analysis, talked with a lot of people, sat in a lot of meetings. And we saw one aspect was a culture of blame. So there was no psychological safety whatsoever in this organizational culture. People didn't feel secure or safe to share their opinions to admit mistakes um, and hence no communication because everyone just feared for their butt. So we um, went back, presented our findings to the board and one of the main problems was actually the CEO who created this kind of culture as well. And he didn't like to hear that at all because he was thinking he was doing extremely great work in the organization, which partly, part, partly he definitely did. Um, but he just didn't want to hear that there was a culture of blame and hence he just dismissed the whole thing, never wanted to talk to us again. So, yeah, the truth can be uncomfortable and people don't always want to hear it. To find the truth, the journey can be as important as the result itself. Could you share with us a little bit about the journey that you take organizations through to finding the truth, the quest for the truth? Yes. So for us as psychologists, especially as consultants, not being part of the organization, for us, it's really important to become part of the organizations for a while. Um, and because we don't take things at face value, what people are selling us, because it's just the tip of the iceberg and it doesn't really explain anything. We really need to see and immerse in the organizations to understand what behaviors are presented, what's the communication style, how are decisions made, who's included, who's excluded, um, what is going on before and after work um, and in between and breaks, etc., etc. So um, we try to gather as much information um, verbally and more importantly, non-verbal information um, in order to go deeper and deeper towards the truth. And I think allowing some time and some um, comfortability as well, us being there at the organization um, helps tremendously, us at least, 
um, to get closer and closer to the truth. But even as psychologists, I would never claim to find ever 100% truth. We talked earlier on a little bit before we started our podcast about the importance of language and the importance of shared language, um, mainly in the spectacle, but probably also in truth. Yes, so I, I think language is uh, or can be a big barrier and can be the ultimate connecting point, if you like. So I think often many problems arise because although we might speak the same language, i.e. English, it doesn't mean that we actually understand each other in the same of what we mean. And this can either be that the person who talks actually doesn't express what he or she really means, um, but even if he or she does, um, then it's about the person who listens, if they actually understood it or, you know, they come with their own perceptions and interpret whatever is said um, with their own capabilities. And I think that's when many problems arise. Um, and then it is to find common language, if you, um, if you know what I mean, and to really understand what do you mean when you say this, this is what I understand. Did you mean this or did you mean something else? And hence, when a common language is found, then, um, you know, things can go really smoothly. But if nobody's been through the process or ever investigated what, what language do you actually speak, what do you mean, then, yeah, it's a barrier. As an organizational psychologist, how do people react to you when you walk through a door? <laughs> Um, I think it's two ways. It's either um, I wish I freeze or would like to flee now because people just think I'm starting to analyze them um, and I can see something they cannot see or they get um, very excited and highly interested and actually want me to analyze them. So it's, it's, it's two reactions. I think generally as a psychologist, you get that. Fantastic. So what am I thinking? <laughs> You're enjoying yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed I do. Indeed I do. This is a fascinating area. Is there any books that you have read lately that talk about truth or spectacle that you find helpful ideas, new concepts, frameworks? So one of the psychologists that I um follow and find quite interesting is Martin Seligman, who are, is a big guy in positive psychology. Um, and I think because the era of employee well-being or general well-being and mental well-being and the pursuit of happiness, which is a never-ending story wherever you go, um, I think he has very interesting research concepts um, does a lot to help people to really find a balance and a realistic view on happiness um, and what we as individuals can actually do to become more happier because we can play an active role in this. So he comes to mind in, in, in that space. I love Marshall Rosenberg. He, talking about language, he's a psychologist and talks about um, nonviolent communication. I'm a big fan of his. And to, to find that language and to understand each other and 
how much we can change uh, if if we talk non-violently. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe these two. Mm. Which is interesting. So you talked about happiness. Would you say uh, organization that has spent time to find its truth is a more happy organization? Ooh. I'm not sure, not necessarily. I think they might be more engaged, they might be more motivated, which is connected to happiness, I guess. But uh, as we discussed, truth can be painful, so pain is not happy. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Maybe a little bit, but not 100%. If you wouldn't do what you were doing right now, what would you be doing? Uh, I think I would try to help young people um, find uh, what they want to do in life. I think there's a massive gap um, between what educational institutions uh, offer young people and what is actually needed in the workplace and later in life. And I think educational institutions don't serve that at the moment and their young people are massively disadvantaged and need a lot of help um, to not get lost as soon as they enter so if i wasn't doing it's still psychology i guess but um i would do that if i was to found a startup tomorrow which <laughs> is going very well what would you recommend to me, when should I start to think about the truth of my organization? Before you start. <laughs> so before you set up your startup, think about this. So I guess uh, really identifying what, what are your values, coming back to values, what, what do you really truly care about? What is fundamentally important to you um, that you don't want to make a compromise about? Um, or have a hard time making a compromise about it. And then attracting the people who share these values, ideally, at least in the beginning, and defining this purpose based on these values. Are you clear about the organizational truth of the innovation bubble? Yes, I believe our purpose at Innovation Bubble is to help brands to really make sense of their audience behavior and decision making. So. I think generally as a psychologist, you want to help. <laughs> that's kind of your task to help people or to help organizations. And that's literally we want to help organizations to make sense of the spectacle in order for them to make better decisions and engage whatever the audience is. Lovely. And if I would ask you the question, are you more truth or are you more spectacle? What would you say? I think I'm both. And to be honest, I think everyone is both. Um, I think there's nobody is 100% truth and nobody who is constantly spectacle, which is too exhausting and 100% truth to not, a, not possible. Not socially acceptable either. Um, probably not. Yeah, I think I think many people um, talk about be authentic and be the way you are, etc. But I think if everyone literally behaves and are the way they really are, for example, at home or whatever, then I think we would have a complete mess. <laughs> and we already have a mess. So I think that would 
<laughs> make it even worse. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. That was brilliant. Thank no, you. Thank you so much. The thing that I took out of today's conversation with Katarina was that looking for the truth is not always obvious. And at times it can be a little painful, but it is always worth it. It really drives business success. Ivan and I hope you enjoyed the discussion. And if you have any comments or questions, you can find us at truthandspectacle.com or LinkedIn. Just search for Alexandra Mecklenburg or Ivan Poles. And if you happen to be on Instagram, look out for Truth and Spectacle. Special thanks today to Katharina Wittgens from the Innovation Bubble for sharing her insights and ideas. And please make sure you look at the good work they're doing at innovationbubble.eu. Extra thanks, as usual, to Richard and Robin for their everlasting patience. Today was recorded in London, and this has been a Truth and Spectacle production.